Hey, and welcome to Zero Compromise, helping you stand for truth in a world that falls for lies. I'm Patricia Angler, joined here at the Creation Museum by Rocket Rob Webb. Hello. And Jessica Jaworski, aka JJ. Hello. Yeah, howdy y'all. We're here in our Fearfully and Wonderfully Made exhibit. Probably, I would argue, one of the best in the world here. Pro-life exhibits. Talks about abortion from a biblical worldview. Why life is important because we start with God's word, which says every life from the moment of fertilization is made in the image of God. And by the way, we say fertilization because the definition of conception was actually changed. So that's why we say that. But we're joined here today in this episode with Josh and Caitlin from Love Life Ministries. How's it going? All the way from uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, right. right? Yeah. So I'd like to know what I need to do to get a cool nickname. <laughs> That's one of the requirements of being on the show. All right. I, I don't have Except for Patricia. Game, yeah. We're still I'm, I'm working, on working on that. On Poor yeah. Rocket Rob, JJ, and just and Patricia. Just Patricia. Right. That's actually not a bad nickname. We'll just, just say just Patricia. Patricia. That's All right. just Patricia. All right. If you okay, want to just spend just good. a couple of minutes saying who you guys are, what you, what makes your guys' ministry unique. Yeah. So uh, I have the privilege of not only, uh, I don't know if you remember the old hair care commercials where the guy was bald and uh, he said, not only am I the president, but I'm a client as well. Uh, that's kind of my story. Okay. I was a partnering pastor with uh, Love Life uh, before I came on staff, and I was just your typical pro-life pastor that uh, thought being pro-life meant you maybe preach on Sanctity of Life Sunday, you support the local pregnancy care center, talk about it you know, every two and four years for elections, but beyond that, what else can you do? And I uh, got introduced to Love Life and uh, the Lord really transformed my life uh, from that point forward in our ministry. And uh, of course, you know, our family has been involved. This is my daughter, and uh, she also is a part of our, our, our staff uh, in Charlotte. But um, yeah, so we, uh, we've been deeply impacted by the ministry of Love Life and now get to be part of helping s- spread it across the United States. So. And of course, not to say, you know, supporting your local pregnancy center is bad or preaching on it, but you're saying as Christians, let's take that step forward. Yeah. Let's actually put what we're talking about, like, for example, here in this exhibit, that life from fertilization is precious, wonderfully made. Let's act like it, right? Yeah, exactly. It's... Uh, it's almost dangerous when we tell people 60 million babies have been aborted at since least, Roe right? v. Wade. At least, I mean, that number's probably and nowhere in the air. just yeah. in the States as well. Like the World Health mm-hmm. Organization, it says 73 million around the world every mm-hmm. single year, and that's right. not going to be including all the chemical abortions either. Exactly. Yeah. But when we tell people that, and, you know, in the middle of a sermon, and then we close our Bibles and go to lunch and don't take any action after that, we almost kind of inoculate ourselves to the reality of what's really happening, and that's why... I was so drawn to the ministry of Love Life as a pastor because they gave me a practical way for my church to be involved and to actually do something about what was happening. So uh, that's a big part of it. What are some of those practical ways and how you got involved into what you're doing now? Yeah, so uh, we host 40 consecutive weeks of peaceful prayer walks at local abortion clinics in 19 different cities. And uh, we invite pastors to adopt one of those weeks and we walk the church through a four-step process, uh, hear, pray, go, connect. It's actually based off a Nehemiah story in uh, Nehemiah chapters 1 through 3. And uh, so the pastor preaches on life uh, on the Sunday of their adoption week, uh, and we do a love life presentation. We invite the whole church to pray and fast on Wednesday. Then we do the prayer walk on Saturday. And at the conclusion of that, we basically say, we don't want this to be the end of your journey. We want this to be the beginning of your journey. Here's ways that you can get involved, and we provide training for those different ministries like Sidewalk Outreach and Mentoring Moms Who Choose Life. 
uh, post-abortive care and orphan care as well. So it's great that you guys do that. I mean, that's one of the things. I mean, for example, here um, we have the Planned Parenthood in Cincinnati. Yeah. We're out there on a on a on a monthly basis. We're going out there on Saturdays, and um, maybe someone that's wanting to maybe get involved with that, at least just checking it out. What are some good practical steps to help them just get out there just to see what it's all about? Yeah, I mean, you know, you know this because you go out yourself um, to an abortion clinic. And, and I remember the first time being in front of an abortion clinic, it kind of just rocks your world because most of what we hear about abortion is in the political sphere. But seeing it for yourself with your own eyes of what's actually taking place and realizing it's not this distant political issue, but this is something that affects everyday people that we live where we live, work and play. And, um, and, and we're called to love these folks. We say often uh, the abortion clinic is the only place in our cities where you know when and where broken and hurting people are showing up and innocent humans are scheduled to die. And it's just reasonable for Christians to be there. So I think it's good, even if you're not going to be the person who is out there, you know, calling out or preaching, just to go and see it and, and then to begin and Just asking, pray, too. I mean, yeah, I, I tell exactly. that to people all the time. I mean, we have the power of prayer and just go out there, just pray for 30 minutes, an hour, just hang out and um, just be out there and just and just showing that presence, just being faithful to God. That's yeah. what I say all the time. Just, just be faithful. That's the all, sto- that's the all stories that come out of that. Um, oh, numerous, yeah. Of yeah. being present, being prayerful is unbelievable. I mean, I've heard story after story of just having just someone out there in front of this abortion mill. A mother might see that and then change her mind through God's providence, might change her heart and say, well, no, not today. That's right. And she'll keep driving. I mean, we see that over and over and over again. So it just shows, I mean, just it just takes one person, one faithful person following God. That's right. So do you guys have a favorite story, either of you, from something you've seen God do through your ministry? I've, I've got a lot. Yeah, it's hard lots. to pick. Okay. Um, you, you made me think, though, uh, there's a, a mom. She's actually on our staff now. She's come full circle. And, you know, she showed up at the abortion clinic, and she cracked her window as she was driving into the parking lot, and one of our sidewalk counselors got a pamphlet inside the window, and she took it inside the clinic, and she read it, and she read Scripture in there, and the Holy Spirit convicted her, and she walked out. And, uh, and so she chose life. That's amazing. At yeah, the, so we do our 40 weeks of prayer. On the 40th week, we invite all of our churches to come back, and she brought her baby wow. to that prayer walk on the 40th week of prayer. And so all of our pastors there dedicated her baby to the Lord on the land that we bought next door to the abortion clinic where she was scheduled to die. Wow. And uh, so to see that come full, full circle, and this little child now, I think she's four, she is a worshiper. Like it's, cool. un- she comes That's to our cool. prayer walks and like, and you just see her singing and worshiping. And now her mom uh, is on our staff, where she helps connect moms who choose life with our trained mentors in local churches for ongoing discipleship and care. Uh, and so, so, so many stories. That the manager there, of the abortion clinic, for ten years, quit, walked out, and uh, she said. Um, her niece came to have an abortion. She changed her mind. She got connected with a mentor in a local church. They threw her baby shower. She showed up at that baby shower and saw the church loving on her niece. For a year, she was sending moms out of the abortion clinic to our sidewalk teams, telling them, we're not crazy. They'll help you because they're helping my niece. And uh, she ended up quitting. And she said, when we do our prayer walks, everyone wears blue shirts. She said, when I saw the people coming in all the blue shirts, it looked like heaven to me. 
And uh, on the 40th week of prayer that year, she walked out, um, hugged people on the sidewalks, quit, never went back. She caters some of our events now for us. She's a cook. And and uh, so, you know, her, her life's been completely changed. I love that you mentioned so. that because there's so many misconceptions of people being out in front of the abortion mill. And really, that's why we're out there. We're out there offering help because mm-hmm. we do care for our mothers. It goes back to... What does God command us to do? Love God and love neighbor, right? And yeah. the number one way we can do that is by telling them what's happening and try to preach the gospel to them. Show right. them, uh, you know, the only free hope of forgiveness is through Jesus Christ and and offer adoption, offer to, um, to, to even walk them to local pregnancy centers. I remember being out there where I would encounter a mother and say, look, I will walk with you right now down to this pregnancy center. We yeah. can find you help today, right? Yeah. You don't have to be there. Um, and so I think that's a great way to just show that, you know, you're, you're not out there uh, just screaming at women. You know, you're not out there trying to beat them down. You're really offering help and care to yeah. them. Yeah, that's right. Did you have a favorite story? Um, yeah, I was thinking of one. It was pretty recent. So it was my first uh prayer walk that I was coordinating and so like all of our volunteers are supposed to like report to me if anything is like going on during the walk and we were about to start the walk and our our observation like our security came over to me and they were saying that there was this like Hispanic couple that was up the road who they couldn't speak any any English but they were asking where the clinic was so our team was kind of basically like trying to stall them because they were like this is like an opportunity to like you know talk to them so they came to me like this like white blonde girl and they're like, Do you do you speak Spanish? Light skinned blonde girl and they're like, Do you <laughs> like right. they're like do you speak That's Spanish? And I'm like I, I mean I like I know a little bit and so I just was like, Oh, like it happened so fast and it really was like a God thing and it was just like the way that it was put in place, but I was just like, Yeah, like I'll go talk to her. So I like sprinted up the hill. And it's this, like, it's an older couple. Like, I can tell they're older. And so I, I didn't think that, like, she's pregnant or there for an abortion. But I go up, and I was able to introduce myself in Spanish. And then, like, she, she said something to me, and I immediately knew that she said that she had an appointment and that she was looking for the clinic. And so I gave her our Spanish literature, and then immediately we went to Google Translate. So I just start this, like, Google Translate conversation with her. And basically she was pregnant, but she was, like, I don't know her exact age, but she was pretty old, and she was saying that she wanted the abortion because she was, like, my age, and she's like, I'm just scared and confused, and, like, we can't do this. And so... I got to, like, just keep talking with her, tell her about, like, I was like, this is the ministry that I work for. Like, we can help you even with, like, if you need special doctors. And I was, like, telling her that uh, we had mentors who were also, like, Hispanic speaking that could help her. And I told her the number to call. And then, like, we got to go into, like, I asked, like, do you guys believe in God? And they said yes. And I was like, okay, so if you believe in God, like, your baby, like, you know what God says about your baby, like, your baby has value, like, that's a life, and I know that, like, your your circumstance is really confusing and scary, but, like, do you believe that that changes the value of the baby, and, you know, you just tell they were, like, really, really torn, and so I told her to promise me to call the number of the Spanish-speaking mentor before they went in, and she told me they would, and so I saw them drive into the clinic, they said they just were going to get the ultrasound, and I, I saw them leave, but I didn't know, like, what happened, and then the next morning I got, a, or that Monday morning, I got a text basically saying that they called the mentor, decided to choose life, they wanted to get plugged into a church, and so immediately, like, this church came around them, gave them, like, a carload of stuff, Um, they started going to, like, every single Bible study, just, like, so on fire for the Lord, and then she just had her baby December, 
a little boy. So that was just like a crazy, because like a lot of times those hindrances, like language, like that would be something that keeps us from like. Google, you say Google Translate, right? Yeah, yeah. You think about what? what, I mean, imagine that we didn't have that. I know, and I was just thinking, like the Lord, like the Lord will use anyone. Like you don't have to like fit this like category in order to go do something like that. Like Google Translate was able to like basically bring that to fruition. So that's been one of my like amazing story just being out there yeah, and it doesn't matter that. it seems like what age i mean you can be yeah. as young as you are caitlin how old are you are i'm you 19 almost 20, 19, 19 almost yeah, 20 so. i mean it doesn't matter what stage of life you are you can go out here you can do the same thing just be faithful like we were saying be faithful to god and um just being out there caring for these women i think that's really yeah. what it comes down to are we offering care and are we also pointing them to the only hope of forgiveness right. and that is through jesus christ because that's really the crux of the issue here. I mean, they don't have a a head issue. Really, they have a heart issue, and that really is the heart of the problem. Yep. That's right. Um, Before, we were just chatting a little bit before we started recording, and I know, Caitlin, you're telling Jessica and I about some other experiences you've had with a bit of spiritual warfare. So I was curious to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah, so it really was this year that I got more personally involved with Love Life. And in this ministry, because it is, like, such a spiritual issue and like a a demonic and a dark issue um just being when you get so personally involved there's automatically going to be spiritual warfare and I knew that but I never personally experienced it and so um this summer I started doing sidewalk counseling which is kind of that like front lines and so there are I would say more opportunities for spiritual attacks and so I started doing the sidewalk counseling and the prayer walk coordinating And for me, like how spiritual warfare looked like was Satan just twisting basically my mindset of even just doubting my faith, like my faith and my purpose in life. And, you know, part of my testimony is I really hadn't lived a life fully surrendered to God till kind of like the end of two years ago, I guess now and last year. And um, so I got super used to just kind of living like a double-sided life. And I based my like faith and salvation off of the fact that like I grew up in church and my dad was a pastor. And so it led to me kind of living this double life. And so when I started to face the spiritual warfare this summer, it really was the thing for me was just doubts and my faith and who I was and like just felt like this kind of like fake a lot. And so Satan just it brought me to such a dark place because I think that like I think just humans in general, like we're in our life, we're, we're always on this search for like purpose and hope and satisfaction. So if Satan can twist your purpose and twist what you put your hope in and twist what you find your satisfaction in, then like he's going to take every opportunity to do that. And so I noticed that really happened to me over the summer. And it was just like a really, a really hard time of just doubting my faith, doubting God, and but still showing up, you know, in church and in ministry and just kind of putting that smile on because I'm like, this is my life. But the Lord, like, really by the end of the summer just opened my eyes to the fact that I was putting my hope and my salvation in just this, like, kind of fleshly identity and that my salvation didn't come from the fact that I worked for a pro-life ministry or that my dad was a pastor, you know. Salvation comes from Jesus and what he did on the cross. And so he really just, he brought me through that. And, like, I'm thankful. Like, it was a really dark time in spiritual warfare. Like, nobody wakes up and is like, yeah, I'm so excited to go through this today. But I'm so thankful for it because I would not be at the place that I am right now in my relationship with the Lord if I had not gone through that. And you know, like the Bible talks about he, he brings us through refining 
And so I know that Satan obviously was had like a really big hold on my life during that time, but the Lord allowed it. And I'm really thankful that he did because it was like this refining process of now I see where I am and it makes me so much more thankful for my relationship with Christ and for just being able to be a part of everything that I am now. So some uh, young adults might have experienced sort of a similar thing. Um, what would what would be your advice to them if they're going through that and how to overcome that? Right. Um, I would say ultimately, like, we, we kind of get to the point, especially in spiritual warfare, and with me, like, especially with all my, like, doubting and struggling and stuff like that, it's like you get to this point of, like, there's a roadway and you have two choices. Like, you can choose to follow the world, you can choose to follow Christ, and after going through something like that, I can say with confidence, it is always worth it to choose Christ. Because going the, going the road with, you know, the world and falling prey to spiritual warfare and what Satan wants to ultimately bring you down to, which is death out of that, it le- I mean, it, it leads to death, and it's it's a dark place, but choosing Christ and choosing Christ in the midst of your spiritual warfare is going to bring you through, like I said, like that refining process, it brings you to the point where you can like look back on your life, and now not only do you have a story to share with others, like I can share this with others, but now you just have, I feel like, almost this newfound hope and this rejuvenation to like continue your faith with Christ and so like also I mean a big thing too just encouragement for people that are maybe like right now in the midst of spiritual warfare is um surround yourself with people that are gonna like uplift you and encourage you in the gospel because I wanted to like kind of seclude myself and Satan wants that too like secluding yourself from being around the light of Christ, that's going to make things worse. But surround yourself with people that are going to encourage you in Christ. And just every day when you wake up, just, I, I mean, I, w- I would wake up and just be like, it may be really hard, but today I'm going to choose you, Christ. Because at the, like I said, you have those, like we have that choice. And, and so like I would encourage anybody, wake up. If you're in the middle of spiritual warfare, you're coming out of it, still like wake up every day and, and choose to follow Christ and remember in the good times and the bad times, remember all the things that he has done to be faithful and good to you and just let that kind of encourage you to, and spur you on to, to keep going. Amen. And I can so certainly well relate to that too because I remember when I started getting into abortion ministry, sidewalk counseling, I got the same thing. A lot of spiritual warfare, yeah. a lot of doubts as well were, yeah. were coming across to me as well, um, which makes sense. I mean, the Bible says that Satan is out here to kill, steal, and destroy, right? Yeah. And, and we also know that he's a coward as well. And so that's why the Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Yeah. So one of the things that always helped me in terms of that spiritual warfare is making sure I got into the word, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. making sure I was opening up my Bible, really taking in that word. Um, it's something I think Ray Comfort says all the time, you know, if, uh, if you're not reading, you're not eating, right? Mm-hmm. So you think about how often are you feeding your stomach? How often are you actually ingesting God's word, that spiritual food, right? So um, it's one of the things that uh, I think Ray also says is like, you know, sin will keep you from the word, but the word will keep you from sin. Right. So that's that really is the heart of the problem. And so uh, personally for me, I don't know if it was the same for you, um, just getting into that word and making yeah, sure no, that I, sure. I dove into it. Because after you're out there on the sidewalk for multiple hours, I mean, you just feel spiritually drained. Mm-hmm. You need that spiritual food. So what I got into the habit of is afterwards, I would just immediately come home, open up my Bible and start reading and then immediately just feel that refreshment. I don't know if yeah. it's the same for you there. Yeah, no, that's a that's a big thing. I forgot to mention that too, but that was one thing. It was like, I would always be distracted from reading the word, which like, of course, that's another thing Satan is going to use because like you said, when you're in the word, like that, that helps a lot. And um, so, yeah, I would always, I, I can notice like a mark, a, a big difference 
and just like how I'm feeling and what I'm thinking when I haven't been spending time in the word versus when I have. And that was a big thing is like starting to lack on being in the word. And like we were talking last night about how like every day we're going to be filling ourselves with something. And so either you're filling yourself with Jesus or you're filling yourself with the world and with or just with whatever. And then eventually like one of those things is going to become your master and your ultimate like you know, like if you keep eating of one thing, like that's all you're going to like, it's going to become a habit to you keep going to that. We worship. Exactly. Yeah. So that is a big thing too. I would, I would argue that's probably one of the like biggest things, especially in the middle of spiritual warfare. Yeah. It's, it's like, like, like what, what are you filling your mind with on a yeah. daily basis? Exactly. Yeah. And, go ahead. <laughs> uh, I was just going to say, and for, for you, Josh, uh, I know that there's some parents out there who might be listening who, who uh, don't know how to reach their young adults or their teen and to spur them on to Christ. So from a parental perspective, what would you say? Like, how, how, do you, how do you do that as a parent when you see your child struggling or you see your young adult struggling and you want them to be in the Word? Yeah. I remember when I was a young dad, a friend of mine talked to me about this idea of having the hearts of your kids. And, you know, my wife and I, we talked early on. We knew we were going into ministry and we are like, man, we really don't want to have the typical pastor's kids who, you know, put on a facade and, you know, and, and all of this stuff. I mean, I, you know, even coming through all this, like she, she told us, like, even though you guys didn't put pressure on me, there's still pressure on me because of the nature of just being a kid whose parents are in ministry. It's hard. And so what we've tried to do is just, like, create space in our family where you don't have to pretend that everything is okay and part of the way we do that is, is by talking about my own mess. Like, I have my own sins. I have my own struggles. And she knows them, and my son knows them. Um, and then just making sure, like, I can see in my kids, like, when your kids withdraw, or even when you try to discipline and speak into their life, if they, like, shut you off, you probably don't have their heart. And so, all right, we need we need some one-on-one time um, and, and just – you know, understanding what my kids love, what they're into, to get their heart so that I can speak into them. And so it was hard for us this past year. Like, we knew something was going on, um, you know, but she would always give the typical teenage answer, like, mm-hmm. I'm fine, I'm tired, yeah. I'm tired. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Just, you know, Dad, I know I'm better yeah. than you, right? But here's, yeah, think that. Here, here's what's amazing, <laughs> yeah. like, and, and here's where hope is for parents. I am not a perfect parent, and I've done more wrong than I've done right, I promise. And and my wife would say the same. But God in his grace hemmed her in. Amen. Um, You know, even though she was um, struggling and had isolated herself, ironically, she was, here and I went to a church to represent Love Life, and the Lord used the pastor's message that morning to kind of be a watershed moment for her to really open up to us what was going on. And, and that was by grace. I mean, that's just the Lord's grace in, in, her, in her life. And being in ministry, not just like being a ministry family, but being in ministry helps to f- help, has helped form her faith and our sons, like being in the battle, on the front lines, on the sidewalks, doing prayer walks, being involved in this issue of abortion has exposed our kids to very weighty matters. And our founder says all the time, it is way more dangerous for our kids to be sitting in front of the TV than it is for our kids to be out in front of an abortion clinic because, you know, that that's where we are trained. That's where our, we're strengthened in our faith is in the battle. Um, and, uh, you know, listen, man, when, when people revile you and speak evil about you and persecute you, 
Great is your reward. Yeah, as long as you're not Great being a jerk about it, right? Yeah. As long as you're, uh, because <laughs> yeah. honestly, I've That's seen not too many. I've seen too many of these guys out there. They they're they're gung ho. They come out to the abortion mill. Yeah. They're standing on the sidewalk, and they're just being jerks. I yeah. mean, really, yeah. I'm sure you've seen those guys yeah. as well. Oh, yeah. And they're getting persecuted. And I, I would hear the same thing, you know, like, oh, great is my reward. Like, you brought oh, that on yourself, bro. Yeah. You're just being the jerk, bro. <laughs> I, I feel like the, I mean, it's like the gospel is already offensive enough. You don't need to add more offense to it, yeah. right? Yeah. So. Um, but I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, and I'm sure as a pastor, I'm sure being in ministry, your number one priority is your family. Yeah. It's your family, making sure that you're raising them up. And one of the things I always think about is Ephesians chapter 6, right? Um, uh, putting on the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, and, and all the rest. And my three-year-old son, that's probably his favorite chapter in the entire Bible. That's something we go over over yeah. and over again. Just being able to, so when you get into those spiritual warfare type of um, uh, scenarios, you know, making sure your child has that foundation so they're ready for it, making sure yeah. that they're, they're going to be the salt and light. And I think that's one of the most important things. I mean, I think just from my perspective of training my children is I want to make sure that they have that foundation before I send them out into yeah. the battle. Make sure they're properly equipped. Make yeah. sure they're wearing their armor before they go out there. Um, that's not something we talk about all the time is, you know, we're not going to be around forever. We can't protect you forever. So we want to make sure you're equipped before we do send you out. Um, the Bible talks about uh, children are like arrows in the hands of a warrior, right? Yeah. So you yeah. want to make sure your arrow is nice and sharp when you yeah. release it. That's right. So I'm sure you you can relate to that as well, being a father. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, one of the things I share with my wife as we walked through this with Caitlin was... I felt like it was a failure on my part that I didn't do a better job of preparing her for what she was stepping into when she said, I want to volunteer on the sidewalk. And being in this ministry, you know, for several years now, it's like I should have done a better job to prepare her for what was And like coming. you said, we're not going to do it perfectly, right? right? And that's why we need Jesus. We need to be relying on Jesus on a, on a daily basis. And yeah. I, I love that you brought that up yeah. because we are not going to be a perfect parent no matter yeah. how hard we try. Yeah. I also really appreciate just it's so cool listening um, to some of the advice that all of you guys are talking about for dealing with spiritual warfare and being in ministry and getting through these hard places because um, I went around traveling, interviewing Christian students at Secular University, another hard place, and it's so cool to hear the consistency, what helps them. It's all the same stuff that you guys are saying, what helps you in ministry. So staying in the word of God, um, I'd call that building your spiritual foundations and then something you said, Caitlin, surrounding yourself with Christian community, I'll ca I call that interpersonal foundations and that mm -hmm. came up all over the world and if you look at persecuted christians you look at world-changing christians like william wilberforce who stands on biblical authority helped him stop the british slave trade again excelling in in these foundations so it's so cool to hear all across the board how this is what we need and if we can focus as families and ministries on building just some of these practical things discipleship in the bible not all this entertainment of things that really don't matter um learning your, your intellectual foundations, apologetics, being able to answer for your faith, being able to defend life, coming to places like this, the Creation Museum, plugging into ministries like yours, learning those practical skills, and then surrounding yourself with other people who are in the same boat, like just waking up every morning, recognizing that you are in a battle as a Christian, no matter what you're doing, and then living with that mindset. So great. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up too. Surrounding yourself with other fellow believers. I think also, I think you mentioned that too, in terms of that spiritual warfare. I mean, just it's so important to be uh, in that fellowship with the saints on a, on a weekly, on, a, on a, as much as you can on that weekly basis. And I'm sure you can relate to uh, maybe that helped you as well in terms yeah. of that spiritual warfare. Yeah. That was great. All right. So as we kind of wrap up here, um, any uh, concluding remarks here we want to 
ask our guests. Well, I know that you guys are telling us about a new initiative that your ministry has, House of Refuge, so maybe there's something about that you want to share? Yeah. You know, again, as I mentioned earlier, just, you know, thing that I needed as a pastor was to be shown a practical way for my church to engage in the issue of abortion. And um, I was in a I was in a Prince Care Center several years ago, and the director told me there was four women who had come from a very well known evangelical church that rejected their help and had an abortion that year, and one was the daughter of someone in leadership at that church. And I remember thinking, is this happening in my church? And and if it was, what could I do to prevent it from happening? I was just, I was broken. I was like, man, I I don't even know what, like if somebody told me this was happening in our church, like people felt like they couldn't come to us. So basically what the House of Refuge is, is we ask pastors uh, to read the House of Refuge statement twice a year, at least twice a year, uh, to the people from the pulpit. And the purpose of it is this, we just want to clear the air. Um What's happening is, 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 is people are running from our churches thinking, I'm going to be gossiped about, I'm going to be kicked out, I'm going to be shamed, and Satan uses that. And, uh, and so by the pastor saying, if you or someone you know has an unplanned pregnancy, this is a safe place to run to. Here's what we believe, here's what we won't do, here's what we will do, and if you've had an abortion in your past, this is not the unforgivable sin, and we want to help you find healing and restoration. So that's the one part, and it's simple for the pastor. He preaches every Sunday anyway. So it's just, pastor, use your voice, use your influence, share this with your people. And not only does it help people in the church who may face a crisis pregnancy, but it prepares them to be missionaries where they live, work, and play, where they know what the church will do. So if I have a classmate who's considering an abortion, I can say, hey, my church is a house of refuge. You come, I'll take you there. We, we will help you. We'll walk alongside you, whatever you need. It'll be okay. Um, and so then, for the pastor's sake, because we know pastors are busy, we, say, we ask them, hey, give us a rep from the church, and we have a training course that we, that we take them through to prepare the church to know how to respond when those situations happen. So it's simple, it's not hard to do, um, but we want to see a 1,000 House of Refuge churches. We currently have 163, um, and we have a, a map, so when we hand out our sidewalk literature, um, it has a, a website on it, and on that website... There is a map where a mom can put in her zip code and see all of the House of Refuge churches in her area that she can go to for help. Um, and so our ministry, you know, we exist to unite and mobilize the church to create a culture of love and life. This is culture-shifting work. And now, with what's happening with the abortion pill, with abortion being you know, decentralized away from abortion clinics, where you can get the pill in a drugstore or online... Now more than ever, churches have to be talking about this in a redemptive way and positioning themselves. Please don't run to the drugstore. Run to us. Run to us. This is a place of grace. And, and so by God's grace, cool story, when we read this the first time to our church, the night before, a girl in our church found out she was pregnant. Uh, she was dating a young man. They grew up in church. And so obviously she was super scared. You can find their story on our website. And, um, and so she came to church that morning not knowing what to do. I read the statement, and she later wrote on Facebook, she said, when I heard him say that, I felt like God sat with me in the church and told me it was going to be okay. And so a week later, her dad came to us and told us what was going on. He was dealing with some of his own things that he confessed to us that the Lord has set him free from. Um, she uh, told the church family, like, willingly told the church family what was going on, she married her boyfriend. They're married now. They have their baby. She rededicated her life to the Lord, got baptized. They're in discipleship with us now. They're in our missional community. 
and and just it just we got to by God's grace we got to see like how this plays out, and I think about how would her story have been different had we not just simply said. And sometimes pastors will say, well, we don't like this line in the statement. Honestly, I, you can change whatever you want in the statement. I'd be totally fine if you just said, this is a safe place to run to if you're in an unplanned pregnancy. Please come to us. Plead with your people. And I think that's what pastors are, right? They're, we're shepherds. We care about our people. Uh, and so, man, we, we do want to see th- not just a thousand, honestly, thousands of houses of refuge around the nation where the church is seen as a place to run to, not a place to run from. I love you mentioned that because that is the call of the church. We're called to be salt and light in this culture, you know, because we're, we're called to preserve this culture from decay and to be the light in the darkness and yeah. not to put our hope in Supreme Court or politics. It really comes down to the church being equipped. And like we say all the time at, at here in our ministry, it comes down to that foundational level. And like you were saying, build that foundation why is life important? Why should people be running to you? Yeah. Um, and because we, we get it from Genesis. I mean, really, that's what we're all about here, our, our ministry. We go back to Genesis. It's really the foundation for every single biblical doctrine that's out there, either indirectly right. or directly. So um, I love that you guys are doing that. That's great. So as we kind of wrap up here, uh, one more time, um, if a church wants to get signed up or a Christian listening wants to get involved, mm-hmm. where do they go? How do yeah. they? The easiest thing to do is go to lovelife.org. And uh, right there on the homepage, uh, we have a slider at the top there that scrolls through our major initiatives, and House of Refuge is right there on the top fold of the website, and uh, you can get all the information there. Taylor and Mason, that's the couple I was telling you about, their story is uh, on that landing page there, and uh, you can see. And um, I'm, I'm just excited. I'm excited about the, the opportunity for churches to really start um, putting this into practice and to see what God does um, we had a church in Martinsville, Virginia, say, we, we want to be a House of Refuge church. And the very same day, a girl from Danville, which is like a neighboring city, showed up at the abortion clinic in Charlotte. I don't know why, um, but she showed up at the abortion clinic in Charlotte, chose life, wanted a mentor. And so the very same day that the church said, we want to be a House of Refuge, they got connected with a mom who chose life on the sidewalks of the abortion clinic. That's wow. the kind of stuff that God does. When we obey him and we make ourselves available to serve him, he intervenes in people's lives because his arm is not too short to save. We serve an awesome he gets God. Glorified. Amen. He gets glorified. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. That's great. Thank you so much for sharing. We've loved having you on. Thanks for sharing those God stories. We believe God will be very glorified through this and the church will be equipped. So thanks again. And meanwhile, thank you for listening, everyone, and keep standing on the truth of God's word Amen. with zero compromise. All right. God bless. God bless.